0: What is that sound?
1: Uh what's it sound like?
0: It sounds like breathing.
1: I'm I mean I'm breathing but not like right no, in No no, do you
0: hear it? Like
1: I don't hear anything. was
0: gonna stop doing it. Right oh. there, you hear it?
1: Yeah, that's just my dad. <laughs> He's sleeping in the background. Oh, okay. Is it really loud or
0: I mean, I, I thought it was like somebody else on the line for a second. There, I was like, whoa, I'm hearing like breath sounds." Like,
1: yeah is it really is it really loud? I or- mean,
0: I could hear it, but I mean, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not.
1: Okay.
0: You know, horrible or anything. It was just weird. It was like I, you know, I could hear, I could hear another voice basically. It's, that's what freaked me out. <laughs> So right. he's sleeping right there in the same room?
1: Yeah, he just sleeps on the couch. Like, the computer's down in, like, a rec room type of deal, and there's, like, a big TV down here. This is, like, where he hangs out all the time. That's why I always have to, like, wait till he falls asleep to record, because it's just kind of, like, weird. You know what I mean? So I, I, I always like, I never really get on Skype like in the middle of the day. I always wait till like 10 or 11 at night cause I know he's like asleep or whatever. So it's like, oh well, he, I mean, you can talk like as loud as you want. He won't wake up cause he's like, he's like me. I, I, you can, I can sleep through like a train wreck, you know? So it's like, I just, that's what I always do. I just wait till he falls asleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, man. <laughs>
1: Yep. <laughs> so now you know the, uh, the t- quote unquote studio that I do the podcasting in. <laughs> Dad sleeping in the background and I got like a romantic comedy going on on the TV and, yep. <laughs> Alright, you ready? Banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear, Alec Berry and Scott Gardner now travel back, back
0: to the bins. Welcome back to Back to the Bins. This is episode number eight. I'm Scott Gardner,
1: and as always, I'm Alec Berry.
0: How's it going, man? You doing all right?
1: I'm doing pretty good. You know, flipping burgers at the old Wendy's, <laughs> nothing new. You, just, you don't want to be me. Kids don't grow up to be me.
0: Stay in school.
1: Stay in school and don't do drugs. Because <laughs> I've been around for years. I know.
0: <laughs> Number eight already, can you believe it? Yeah,
1: we're like zipping through these, you know. We're gonna be at 100, and Scott's gonna be turning like 72, and I'll be 25, and then I'll, you know, it'll be weird. <laughs> you know, like, I'm gonna be growing up with Scott. How weird's is that? That is very <laughs> weird. Yep.
0: So, what you got this week?
1: I'm gonna go Marvel this week. I'm going back to the homeland. Uh, and it's Marvel team up. Number 95, cover dated July 1980. 40 cent cover price. Wish it was still like that. Approved by the Comics Code. And this team up is between Spider-Man and Mockingbird. And Mockingbird had her big stint in uh, last year's Secret Invasion. And I actually believe this is Mockingbird's first appearance as Mockingbird. Which was actually really cool to kind of find this on the cheap. Uh, you know, just to kind of get her first appearance. I think the character of Bobby Morse has appeared previously than this, but this is her first appearance as Mockingbird, so that's pretty neat. But, uh, the story starts off as Peter Parker is leaving a airport, he's just got back from assignment, uh, for the Daily Globe, and he's following, well not really following, but walking alongside, uh, Bobby Morse. As she kind of, uh, gets off the plane and such, and you know, he's kind of got the hots for her because she ain't, you know, she ain't a bad-looking girl. And uh, suddenly he kind of has a spider sense tingling, uh, kind of a gangster mafia type, kind of knocks him out of the way as he starts chasing down Bobby Morse. And uh, Peter kind of sneaks away, puts on the Spider-Man costume, and uh, gets to work to kind of figure out what this guy is doing. Out in the parking lot, Bobby Morse is getting ready to get in her car, and this Mafia guy uh, has a gun to her back, but she kind of, uh, flips into action mode and starts beating the crap out of this guy and another kind of, uh, strong man as he shows up. Uh, you know, same old kind of superhero fight. But then Spidey shows up and starts, you know, helping out with the cause, and he's kind of curious what's up with this chick as she kind of transforms and, uh, puts on the, uh, the Mockingbird costume, and, uh, all of a sudden, this car just starts, just zooms into the panel as it's flying, and it's uh, just kind of another couple of agents chasing uh, Bobby Morris so as she dodges uh, shots. And then, you know, Spidey goes up into the, he webs up to the flying car, throws the agents out and takes control of it and picks up Bobby And as they kind of fly away in pursuit. And uh, they're kind of just, you know... She's playing dumb. Spidey's kind of trying to get the answers from her, but cannot. And eventually, she kind of just jumps ship and uh, leaves Peter zooming out to the ocean. And uh, he kind of just dives off of the car as the car crashes. And that's kind of that, you know, for their first uh, encounter together. And then we go to the next page where Peter uh, actually diving out of the car. And I left this out. I should put this on the last page. My bad review skills. <laughs> As, I guess he got knocked out when he jumped out of this car, and he wakes up now in a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility uh, right in front of a man named Dillidan and Colonel Fury himself. And uh, he's being informed on the situation of this Mockingbird character. It turns out that she is an ex-S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, a rogue, and now she is after Nick Fury for some reason. She wants to assassinate him. And, uh, they want Spider Man's help to protect the man and, uh, you know, have him, help him track down Bobby Morse. So, you know, next page, they're kind of, uh, spying on her, following her, seeing where she's going to as, as she enters her apartment. As she enters the apartment, they spring upon her with shield agents and such. Uh, you know, she hops back into the Mockingbird getup, you know, starts fighting them, you know, doing her thing. And eventually she's able to track them down uh, as they kind of retreat to a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. And uh, she starts going after Nick Fury. But then, uh, as Spidey kind of intervenes, we find out her true purpose. And her true purpose is this. She has discovered uh, in the past few months that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been under some corruption by this Dillidan figure who we met uh, previously. And the Nick Fury that we saw earlier really isn't Nick Fury. It's a... Uh, a Nick Fury robot. I forget the term for it. Do you remember? They uh
0: Oh, the life model decoy? Yeah, yeah, the
1: life it was a life model decoy in place. And uh Dilladan basically put this uh life model decoy in in progress uh so he can kind of use it as his puppet to control all of Shield and well, the that,
0: guy I- you're talking about is he? Is he like in a purplish outfit?
1: Uh, he's just wearing a green outfit. He's kind of got the Wolverine look with the hair and the sideburns going on.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I thought maybe we were talking about Paladin at first, but no, he's somebody different. Yeah,
1: it's Dillidan, but uh,
0: oh, I don't know who that is.
1: Yeah, I think he's just kind of a throwaway villain for this issue. Nothing <laughs> too special. I, I really don't want to see him pop up again, but. You know, after they find out the true purpose, uh, you know they team up for the good old fight and take out Dilladan. And uh, eventually, Nick Fury shows up—the real Nick Fury—at the end to kind of, you know, thank Mockingbird. But uh, it kind of the way that he pops in—it kind of seems that uh, Mockingbird is going right at Fury to attack him, and the guards around him that are fighting really didn't get the idea yet, so they actually shoot down Mockingbird. And, uh, before Fury can get the real orders off. And that's kind of where we're left at the end of the issue is that Mockingbird's life is in the hanging. And, uh, you know, Fury's off to get into the hospital. So kind of a downer ending. But, uh, this issue (laughs) was written by Stephen Grant, which I kind of thought was funny because Stephen Grant is, uh, one of the alias names of Mark Spector Moon Knight. So I thought that was kind of cool. And, uh... (laughs) Artwork is done by Jimmy James and inks by Bruce Patterson, who I mentioned back in our first episode uh, was the inker on Paris Collins for Blue Beetle. So that's another, that's a name I recognize now, Bruce Patterson's inker. Uh, again, you know, artwork was just kind of the classic old, you know, late Bronze Age type artwork, just really based on storytelling alone, nothing too flashy, uh, you know.
0: Well, that's a Frank Miller cover on that one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's actually a really nice Frank Miller cover. Yeah,
0: yeah, because he did several right in right in this same general era. Because I know he did number one hundred with Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four as well. Yeah, and uh, he drew- by sheer coincidence, just three issues before this, and number ninety-two, Spider-Man had just teamed up with Hawkeye, who was uh, Mockingbird's future husband too.
1: Yeah, yeah, he- I think. Didn't Miller draw a spectacular, I think, Spider-Man for a period, I think? Because I think that's, uh, him and Daredevil teamed up for like a two-part story in that. And
0: Yeah, right around yeah. like 27 or something like that. Yeah, it's the first Miller on Daredevil, I, I do believe. Yeah, that's
1: kind of where he got his thing for Daredevil going on. But back to this issue, it's, uh, you know, artwork's kind of just, it's there to do its job, uh, you know. Didn't hate it or anything. I think it's pretty good. You know, don't love it exactly. Writing, it's just a good old superhero team-up story. You know, just a lot of fun. And uh, I kind of just thought it was, you know... I think the, what I like about, you know, some of the other Marvel team-ups that I like is that you kind of get to explore a lot of new characters through it. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, Spider-Man and Wolverine teaming up every month. It's a lot of new characters and such. So that's, that's that was really kind of cool about it. Uh, getting a little backstory on mockingbird because when she showed up in secret invasion i was really kind of just left out, left out on that cliffhanger because i had no idea who she was or what she meant or anything so this kind of filled in a few of the gaps with her character which was kind of cool um yeah just good old superhero fun i liked this nothing wrong with it
0: yeah marvel team up and marvel two in one those those are two uh classics from back in the day that were were always or almost always you know a lot of fun and uh i always liked him as a kid because like you say you know you, you you typically got you know a big name hero generally spider-man although he wasn't the star of every single issue like most people think but generally spider-man and then i, I always liked it when it was somebody i'd never heard of you know some you know obscure character like you know like somebody like mockingbird or or Quasar, or, you know, even like Howard the Duck was in, I think he's in the very next issue, 96, you know, and at the time, I don't think I'd ever heard of Howard the Duck. I'm pretty sure I was introduced to him with, you know, his, uh, Marvel team up. You know, have a not ready for prime time players. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't stay up late. I didn't know who the hell John Belushi was, you know, but, you know, here he was teaming up with Spider Man in, in Marvel team up. Yeah, it was, that was a fun book, man.
1: Yeah, I, it kind of, I wish like, they have this uh what is it the astonishing tales that's kind of like the current running anthology from Marvel I wish they would kind of go back to the this sort of format book where just kind of one and done superhero team ups you know I'd love to see that and just kind of you know just take like you know like a Spider-Man or a Wolverine or a, like an Iron Man kind of archetype and then just team up with like a a seer dealer's character and really kind of just tell a good one and done story, and really just kind of introduce new characters and such, and kind of you know, I, I I would just like to see that done, but I, I don't think I don't think the kind of like trade waiting atmosphere that we're in today with comics, I don't think it would really work, which is kind of sad because I I like a lot of the like old Marvel team up back issues that I've read, you know, just mm-hmm. I mean they serve the purpose for what they are, but that, that purpose is a lot of fun. And I think that's what. Yeah. we're... I think we need more fun in their superhero comics.
0: I do yeah, I totally agree with you. I think part of the reason why these kind of books don't succeed anymore is that they they never were terribly relevant even back in this era when they were popular. You know, they they were kind of throwaway stories, you know, they didn't add a whole lot to the to the overall continuity of Spider-Man or or you know, the Thing or whoever the the star was. And you know they sometimes they helped establish a character or maybe you know reintroduced a character that hadn't been seen in a long time, but generally speaking they 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 weren't really important if you know what I mean, and I mean any team up book like that kind of suffered from that, you know Superman with you know d c comics presents and Batman with Brave and the Bold. You know, as as great as those books were, and the fond memories that fans have, you know, the people that grew up with those books, you know, you, you'd be hard pressed to find more than a, a handful of stories in any of those runs. And some of those books had long runs, you know, more than a handful of stories that really had any lasting impact or, or relevance or anything. Other than you know maybe uh, like I said you know a a first appearance or or character resurgence or something like that you know but as far as just a story that you know something became of it you know it was important to the overall legacy of the character nah you won't find that in those kind of books they were just fun little you know adventures that you know weren't weren't to be taken terribly seriously but I think there's something to be said for those kind of books.
1: I mean, they just, again, they serve their purpose just to kind of tell a one-and-done story, which I just, I wish there were more comics like that today. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I'm kind of just burnt out on the six-part crossover things. I just, I want a good one-and-done superhero story, you know.
0: That's what we're doing this show for. Exactly. (laughs) Comics just like that one. Yep, you're right. Absolutely.
1: All right, Scott, what do you got this week?
0: Well, I've got one that unfortunately is is more of (laughs) of the opposite end of the scale. (laughs) But uh, of all the books we've done so far, this one was like the surprise wow. You know, this was the one that really grabbed me. And it's funny because it was one of the ones next to like the, the, the image one It was the one that, uh, that I was probably the most, uh, nervous to do or nervous to read because I was really like, well, eh, this is going to suck. I got some bad intel a while ago from, uh, from a fellow podcaster who will rename or remain nameless, but, uh, just that this book from a certain point on just wasn't any good. And, uh, you know, judging by this issue, I I I think I've been steered wrong. Anyway, this is the Titans number thirty-five. Now this is the Titans from pull up my notes here. This is the series that debuted in March of nineteen ninety-nine by Devin Grayson and Mark Buckingham. So this isn't the current. I think there is a book coming out right now called the Titans, uh, but this is the 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 one from a while back. Um, anyway, this is number thirty-five. This is the January two thousand two issue. The writer on this, I'm probably going to butcher the name, but it's J. F- is it Far- Farber? J. Farber.
1: He writes. Uh, he's writing Dynamo Five right now for Image, and he wrote Noble Causes, which uh, I've heard really good things about those. Huh?
0: It seems like everybody attached to this issue has a screwy name because I can't pronounce his name. The guest penciler is Peter, is it Grau? It's J, or, excuse me, G-R-A-U. Is it Grau? Grau? I've
1: never sure. heard of him.
0: Never heard of him either. Um, Bud La Rosa on inks. And, all right, this is the reason, you know what they say about judging a book by its cover? Well, I judge this book strictly by its cover, and this is why I thought this issue was really going to suck because the the artist on the cover is, is it Kaya, Kia? See, again, another screw name. Kia, I'm going to say it's Kia, because it's K K I A Kia Asamaya. Now, this person, I don't know if this is a female name or a male name, so I'm just going to say this person. This person did covers on a lot of the issues of Chuck Austin's X-Men run. Now I liked the art on those. It was really, you know, a lot of those covers were really fantastic. This cover, not so much. As a matter of fact, the the main, I mean, the the, the biggest character on the cover, who's battling uh, a character, uh, a creature that I guess is supposed to be a wildebeest, doesn't look like a wildebeest. Is actually uh, Flamebird, the female Flamebird, who was a Titan, doesn't look a thing like Flame. I didn't know know that that's who it was. So. You know, just judging strictly by the cover, I thought, wow, this looks like it really stinks. Anyway, we get inside. The art style inside is completely different from what the cover is. Um, Grau, if that's how his name is pronounced, the penciler on this, has a really good style. It's, uh, it's very much in line with the current, like, JSA type of. Maybe I'm just getting that vibe because right on the first page, alright, we'll get right into the story. You'll, you'll get an idea where I'm coming from with the JSA reference. We start off and there's a couple of police officers and they're in a luxury condominium apartment on Manhattan's Upper West Side and they find a dead body. It's a dude. His neck has been broken and he's uh, laying naked on a bed and they're investigating, trying to figure out what's become of them. They're they're responding to an anonymous tip that uh, something had happened in this apartment and one of the, uh, officers realizes that uh this apartment belongs to Libby Lawrence and Libby Lawrence used to be the superhero called Liberty Bell. She was one of the All-Star Squad and the JSA and all that. So right off the bat in the first page we're we're in the thick of it. You know, there's a murder mystery in in Liberty Bell's uh, apartment. Then we switch to a story which is It's hard to tell which is supposed to be the A story and which is supposed to be the B story in this particular book, but I'm going to call this the B story. It has to do with the wildebeest, who I never particularly cared for. It was kind of a convoluted story that I've actually forgotten a lot of the details of. I was reading this title when it came out, The Titans, and as soon as Devin Grayson left, I left too. And I have been told that, you know... That everything that came after she left the book really wasn't any good. Well, I don't care so much for the wildebeest story in this, although it's nice to see the female uh, flamebird of of the titans back again, and she's teamed up with changeling in this uh, wildebeest story. But the rest of this book was fantastic. the The story goes forward where um, at this time Liberty Bell's daughter Jesse Quick was a member of the titans. The Titans get a call to respond to uh you know to go to Jesse's mother's apartment because something's going on. They go there and the the murder investigation is well underway. The Titans volunteer to help, but you know the the team basically warns Jesse that you know you can't really get involved with this, you know, you you've got too much of a personal stake in what's going on. You know, this, her, her mother's basically a suspect in this murder. Her mother's missing and nobody knows where she is. They want to talk to her and find out what she knows about this dead man in her bed. It turns out this dead guy is her fiance. So it looks like Super Strength was involved in, uh, in this guy. His name's Philip. In Philip's death, which causes, uh, you know, puts puts more uh, doubt on Liberty Bell. You know, causes her to be a, a definite suspect in this whole thing, since she is uh, a super powered super heroine. So, you know, her daughter Jesse Quick, you know, she's uh, she's very upset, very distraught. Runs out, has a little talk with Donna, and they decide, you know, what their next move is going to be. They go to talk to Liberty Bell's best friend, who's this you know old lady, and she's uh, pretty upset to find out that uh, Philip's dead, and uh, she kind of spills the beans a little bit un- unwittingly that uh, Libby had confided in her that she was going to confront Philip over the fact that she knew that Philip was cheating on her, which just adds more fuel to the speculation that, you know, Libby may have off this guy. So we get a little bit of uh, the goings-on at Titan's Tower. At this particular time, there was a whole thing going on with some super-powered kids that they'd taken in and all that. There's just a little bit of uh, of character development with that whole thing, not too much. And it it doesn't really further either of the plots, so I'm going to breeze over that. We go on a little bit further where, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what's their next move. They can't find Liberty Bell. They're, they're kind of stymied in their investigation. They, they're not sure, you know, what else to do. There don't, don't seem to be any other suspects at the moment other than her mother, and they've got to find her and find out, you know, what she knows and what's what's the deal. Why isn't she coming forward? You know, what, how might she be involved in this whole thing? So, again, there's a little bit more of the, uh, the B-plot with the whole wildebeest thing. And we find out that there's, uh, this weird old man that seems to be controlling or thinks he's controlling anyway, the wildebeest. You know, we'll, we'll get more of that later on with uh, him being confronted by Changeling and the Titans about the fact that, you know, he only thinks he's controlling these things that, you know, as soon as they don't have a use for him anymore, you know, they're going to kill him or eat him or whatever these wildebeest guy do. The, uh, the issue wraps up where Nightwing, Jesse, and, uh, and I don't know if he was going by Tempest or by Aqualad at this point, but Aqualad basically, they go to the dead guy's apartment, Philip's apartment, and they're attempting basically to find any clues at this point to either who killed him or where Libby, uh, might be or whatever's going on. And they go in and there's an intruder. And there's a great moment where Nightwing, you know, tries to subdue this this intruder and the intruder just, you know, totally outmaneuvers him, throws him against the wall really hard, at which point, you know, Jesse, you know, spouts her speed formula and she takes off, she tackles the intruder. Nightwing has already figured out who it is that it's actually Libby herself, uh Liberty Bell, you know, disguised. And, you know, so they confront her, you know, what are you doing here? What's going on? And she's all indignant, you know, well, what do you mean, I'm, you know, what am I doing here? I'm trying to find out, you know, who killed this guy. And, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out, well, why didn't you just come forward? You know, why, why are you in hiding? Why don't you let anybody know what's going on? And she said, well, you know, she doesn't want to be sidelined, basically. She wanted to be able to, you know, do the superhero thing and, and track down this, this person who, you know, killed her fiancé. So then she, you know, she spills the beans that, you know, she's trying to, you know, she's there in his apartment trying to find any clue to who her, uh, her fiance's secret lover might have been, that that could be the person responsible for this whole thing, at which point, uh, Jesse says, no, you know, it, it couldn't be that person. And both Nightwing and Libby want to know, well, how could you possibly know that? And the last panel, great little bomb dropped because I was Philip's lover. And I was just like, whoa, that's creepy, weird, and cool all at the same time. But it was a great cliffhanger. You know, it was a, it was enough to make me go, okay, I've got to know how does this story play out? You know, who killed the guy and how in the hell did, uh, did Jesse Quick get to be her mother's fiance's secret lover, when she didn't even like the guy, so it was just it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of you know mystery intrigue, you know that that skanky slutty weird you know soap opery stuff that you know my wife watches on TV so much, and I usually roll my eyes at, but here it's got you know people in their long underwear involved, so suddenly I'm interested and I gotta know who who killed who killed this Philip guy, so. Uh, I, I liked it. I thought it was a fantastic issue, and uh, it's it's enough to make me want to go and uh, and read the rest of this story and read some of these other issues of uh, of Titans that you know I, I skipped out on. You know after uh, after Devin Grayson left, uh, I, I liked it. It felt like a it felt like an old school Wolfman Perez era, you know, issue of uh, of Titans, and I got a real kick out of it.
1: That sounds like, you yeah, know, it does sound like a very good story. It sounds almost like it should be, I don't know, like it, almost sort of like a, like an O. Henry type of, you know, big slap, ironic type of ending sort of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like the feel of it from what you described.
0: Yeah, I, I totally didn't see the thing coming with uh, with, with uh, Jesse Quick, you know, dropping that bomb. And you know, because she even said, you know, when when she comes to her mother's apartment and and realizes that the guy's dead, you know, there's there's a point in here where she said, you know, I, I forget who she confides it to. That uh, oh, it's when she and Donna are having their little moment. You know, Donna Troy. She says, you know, she doesn't understand what she's so upset about because she didn't even like the guy. So I, I thought that was neat. You know, that you know somehow or other she had gotten involved with this guy, you know, behind her mother's bed. It almost made me wonder if it was somehow maybe to to spite her mother or something like that because they they have always had, you know, a troubled relationship anyway. And so I I was just really, you know, by that ending, it was enough to make me go, okay, I've got to find out where does this story go, you know, what's, what's the whole deal with this. Which you know that that's the best kind of uh, of story, you know, where, the, where it's got the good cliffhanger like that that makes you go, okay, got, i I got to come back next time, I gotta go, I gotta know what's going on, I gotta figure it out. So uh, yeah, and on, on that on that level it worked, and uh, I liked it. I like the story, I like the art, and uh, I won't uh, I won't judge by these uh, by these covers anymore on, on these Titans issues anyway.
1: Enough said. That concludes another episode of Back to the Bins. If you have any sort of feedback, please email the show at backtothebins at gmail.com. All content featured within this episode is the sole property of Back to the Bins. No rebroadcasting or retransmission is permitted without the written consent of either Scott or I. Back to the Bins is an Alec Barry Scott Gardner production copyright 2009. Please join us again next time and we will go back.